virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a Welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby, and alongside me, uh, with a big grin on his face, or maybe not, is Rob Hayes. Strap yourselves in, everybody, because uh, when we were just setting up the technical side of things a couple of minutes ago, uh, Pete said, Can you hear me now? And I said, Yes, but I'm not sure I want to for the next hour because I have a feeling there might be a Pete rant on the way very shortly. Yeah, it's one of those where. Normally on For Fox Sake, after the events, we would give it a few days and then bring you the podcast. So everything kind of calms down and you get a more kind of constructive view of the good times and also the bad times. And you kind of come somewhere in the middle, don't you? You know, you kind of level off. Uh, I just don't think that applies. I really don't think it applies because it's it's a funny old game as as someone, uh, as the great man once said, it's... You can win a game of football by being the second best side by a mile and scoring an own goal off an opposition player's arse like in the 95th minute. That can happen. But, um, and, and then the league table will look completely different. You know, if we had an extra few points, it would look completely different. But um, I think ultimately, they, they essentially are where they deserve. And... I say they. It's us, isn't it? Because we're obviously the you know the supporters. It's it's uh, you know we live in the good times and the bad times. You support the club through whatever. You're always going to get them fans. I, I I love the reaction by some people uh, of of every club where they go. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. How many times have you seen someone on like fan TV of different clubs go? That's it. I'm done and walk away. And you're like because they drew in the last minute. <laughs> and then next week, of course, they're back. It's like, it's such a throwaway comment. And some people are like, oh, I'm, I'm done, I'm done if we go down and all that sort of thing. It's like, they're not fans, they're just after a bit of a rise. But it's, um, yeah, let's face it, Rob. What did we say? Uh, if they lose against, what did I say? If they lose against Fulham, I said they were down. And you said that they need, if they beat West Ham, they could still survive. Was that, was that with your angle? I can't remember what you said. Yeah, you, you you pinned it all on the Fulham game and said, lose the Fulham game, we're down. Win the Fulham game, we stay up. Uh, and I said, looking at the final four fixtures, as it was in the previous episode, that I think 36 will be enough to stay up. And those six points for Leicester ideally needed to come from uh, Fulham and last game of the season against West Ham with the idea that both of those sides haven't got an awful lot to play for in the Premier League and Liverpool and Newcastle sandwiched in between that are still very much chasing their objectives. So um, I didn't I didn't say if we lose to Fulham, we're down, but I did say we'd need 36 points to stay up and can I see where the next six points are coming from from three, uh, from three games left? Not really. I'm not done by any means with Leicester and I'm not giving up all hope on survival, but... Any which way you turn, any article you read, any um, sort of supercomputer that's processing the stats and the, the percentage chance of relegation, 
Uh, and also, if you used your own eyes to watch the Fulham game, everything is pointing towards relegation. And uh, just before we came on and, and switched the mics on, we were saying uh, we haven't actually, in almost a decade of the podcast, we haven't ever had uh, Leicester anywhere but the Premier League. It's been a good old stint in the Premier League. Um, what are we going to do next season if we go down? We're going to have more games to talk about and we're going to have to play in earlier rounds of the Cup. I, I, I think talk about relegation now is um, it's a must. I, I would normally say, you know, there's no use talking about what players would leave until it kind of happens. I, I think it's just a genuine conversation and it's been happening uh, online throughout the last few days, you know, which players will go and stay and what we need and, and obviously then, importantly, but the financial side of things. Um, just where we are in the league currently, we all know, but Southampton are gone. Um, Leeds, 30 points. Leicester, 30 points. Everton, 32. Forest, 33. All played the same games. So it's two from four. Leeds, Leicester, Everton and Forest. We have Liverpool at home, Newcastle away and West Ham at home. So from that, you're looking at the West Ham game on paper as being the game that you can win. Everton have Man City at home, Wolves away and Bournemouth at home. Again, last day of the season, Bournemouth at home, eminently winnable. But by the way they're playing, you'd say Wolves away and I actually half fancy them to get something against Man City at home, strangely enough. Uh, Forest, quite interesting fixtures, I think. Chelsea away, Arsenal at home, Palace away. Now, I think, off the top of my head, I'm looking at zero points until you get to the final day of the season, away at Crystal Palace. And then it's up for grabs now. It's, uh, again, very, very similar fixtures. And then you look at Leeds. They're at home to Newcastle, away to West Ham, home against Tottenham. Arguably, you might say that that's the best set of fixtures because you have, again, an away tie at West Ham and then on the last day of the season where it's up for grabs, a home game, very importantly, against Tottenham, who at that stage could be on the beach. So you're looking at all of the teams with an eminently winnable game on the last day of the season. And with difficult fixtures, Leeds have that away at West Ham, uh, kind of with an asterisk next to it, up until then. So it's very, very conceivable that we're in exactly the same position before the final day of the season. And if that's the case, then Leicester will need to win. It's just as simple as that. And they will then need help from elsewhere. And if Leicester are in that position, Rob, I do not fancy their chances. Because I can't Everton at home. And then Forest. I, I, I just can't see it, really. I can see from looking at these fixtures... I can see Leeds picking up points before the final day of the season. I can see Everton picking up points before the final day of the season. I think Forest are in trouble still, even though they're in 16th. I think they won't pick up any points before the final day. And then, like I said, on that final day, we'll see what's what. So come the final day of the season, I think we're in 19th place. We're not in 18th. That's the way I see it. How do you see it from now on till the end of the season? Again, apart from that last day where, you know, it, we, you know, you can't really talk about it until just beforehand. I think that 
Everton's fixtures may well be slightly easier, if not on a par with what with what you were talking about there. I know they've got Manchester City. I appreciate that, but if you look at the final two fixtures, for example, um, Wolves absolutely safe, no bother there, um, and and Bournemouth the same. So I, I think, and and if we're going on the back of Everton's absolute demolition job of Brighton on Monday then I I would say you're looking obviously you're looking at two out of the four remaining to go down from 16th to 19th I think Everton are the safest out of the four of us and I'd say that to the point where it's two from a three that are going to go down and it's going to be between us Leeds and Forest my problem is if and when it goes down to the last day of the season. I mean, if it does go down to the last day of the season, then in in some sort of awful way, that's that's a minor positive because it means that you're still in with a chance of staying in the Premier League with one game to go. Um, but my problem is this is this is a side that in recent years, all right, FA Cup aside, haven't responded in the best possible way in big games where there's an awful lot riding on it. I'm thinking back to a couple of seasons ago under Rodgers where it was, all oh, Champions League, Champions League, Champions League. No, last game of the season, do or die, bottled it a couple of times. And, you know, the when we were in the um, Europa Conference League, didn't turn up on the big stage there. I say big stage, medium-sized stage there. So... Add that to the fact that the Fulham game on Monday night, the objective was absolutely crystal clear. We're not, as you said earlier, we're not in a position of muddy water here where it's, oh, we could get relegated. We can and will get relegated within the next few weeks, quite probably. The Leicester players knew that before Monday night, uh, Monday afternoon against Fulham. And that still was not enough to motivate a first half performance at the very least that even showed that they had the desire to get themselves out of that situation. Now, I'm not sitting here saying the players don't have that desire. I think some of the big players, big name players have come out and spoken um, in the last couple of days about the tireless hard work that's going on on the training ground the realisation of the situation we're in, I would hope so. Most footballers aren't that intelligent, but it does not take a mathematician to work out you're in the relegation zone, lads. But from a fan's point of view, and that's exactly what we present on this podcast, I didn't see anything in the first, especially 20 minutes, mostly the first 45 against Fulham, that said to me, this group of players have testicles and brains big enough to stay in the Premier League. That's ultimately where where I am with it. Yeah, I completely agree. It was so bad. It was unbelievable. And I'm trying to reason myself. Is it... Am I mad for thinking it's possibly better that we got annihilated than if we lost, say, 1-0? So we're just coasting still. Because does this mean that there will be a reaction? Does this mean that Dean Smith and John Terry and Shakespeare will completely rip up the playbook and and go mad on Monday. Does this mean that some players will nev- never play this season again? Does it mean that there will be arguments at the training ground between the players, which is probably needed? Um, it could be. 
it could be, you know, from a from an looking at the best side of things point of view, that it could be the case. But it was god awful. It was beyond belief bad. And again, you look at what Everton did when they turned up at the King Power, full of energy, complete mess, but they were full of energy all over the pitch and ultimately got the point. And then they go to Brighton and again they caught Brighton out by being all action. A friend of mine was at the game, season ticket holder, and, it, and it's, it's all action, full of energy, took their chances. Yes, got the early goal, but they did that by having a game plan. Bit between their teeth, going for it, fine. It, and then if the points come your way, then great. Like Leicester could have played very well and got beaten, but they didn't. They were absolutely annihilated. I know they scored, I know they missed penalties, etc., etc. It doesn't matter. When you're falling up and coasting as Fulham were, of course, you're going to take your, your foot off the gas. Um, we know what it's like when a team takes their foot off the gas. We've had it all season <laughs> for, for the best part of, what, 35 games or so. It's it's appalling. It's absolutely appalling. Problems all over the pitch. And I don't think it's a case of... And I mentioned about the, what the manager thinks and what the manager can do is in ripping things up and is in starting again and replacing players, some maybe not playing, whatever. I, I don't, I do not care. So when it comes to when we preview the Liverpool game in a bit, um, or we can we can do that kind of now, really, just in one big conversation. I I don't, apart from bringing in Harry Suter to a back three, which I think you'll probably need against Liverpool, and just try and shut up shop and see what can happen on the break. I can't see any reason why that wouldn't be the case. Um, unless you're going to really go gung-ho and go, we're just going to try and score as many goals as possible and we know we're going to concede three or more. Um, I don't really think it matters anymore personnel-wise um, because those players on that pitch against Fulham, the the team itself, it was the lineup was was all right, you know, Pratt came in, which is something that we've been calling for. He looked way off the pace. So he's obviously not fit. Okay, you know, from our position, we don't know that because obviously we don't we can't see training. Um Samare was I I I don't know. I've seen I I had um in the previous place that I lived uh in fact the previous but two, which is not too long ago. Um, I had a wardrobe, and when I took it down, um, I kind of smashed it to bits. I didn't take it out on its feet. It went out in pieces. But it was the first time it had been moved for about a decade. Um, And in that decade, it had stood in one place, you could tell, basically, on the floor. But in that decade, I think it moved more than Samari did in that first half. God alive... I've seen cliffs eroded faster than him. It's ridiculous. Um, Tielemans was just way off it. The rest of the, the defence was complete disaster. The goalkeeper was falling around all over the place like he was on a bouncy castle. It was unbelievable. So if they want to replace Fass with uh, Harry Suter, if they want to bring in Johnny Evans, if they want to play Thomas from the start, maybe not that, but you know what I mean? Whatever they change around... Do it. Vardy running around. I know we missed the penalty, but it fall for the course. Fine. You've got to play Vardy straight down the middle. Fine. Madison, again, you know, there's obviouses. But the rest, I, I don't care. I don't care who, who plays. Um, because, again, the way things are going, it's you can put out a side who you think, actually, that's the strongest side we've got. And the performance is so bad, it, 
to be honest, really doesn't matter, does it? No, and the main problem with that is you look at the Leicester City squad on paper and there's absolutely no way that they should be in this situation. So uh, if you, you put that into this conversation and you look at the names of the players on the team sheet and as you said, at this stage of the season, it's entirely irrelevant what their name is. It's only the only relevance is have they have they got the mentality to stand up and be counted and at least go down with some kind of fight because yes relegation would be would be painful for the club financially you know you're talking about all the the staff members who suffer on whose jobs will probably be lost with with the the loss of earnings um, that that comes with championship football um but what you what you're looking for is players that are at least going to look like they are trying to keep the club in the Premier League and you're absolutely right i think you're absolutely spot on with all of your assessments there uh, of those players D- dennis pratt has always struck me as as a solid pro uh, we haven't seen a lot of him in a leicester shirt he's never really had a run of games he's had the odd injury he's fallen in and out of favor played out of position whatever he was garbage against Fulham. Sumare, uh, I know Dean Smith seems to like him and he's had a, a run of games. I, I picked out some positive elements of his performance against Everton, but he was dreadful against Fulham. Yuri Tielemans can't play in a midfield that open, absolutely cannot. He needs runners and and physicality all around him, which he, he did not get. Add that to the fact that Leicester couldn't keep the ball for Toffee. And he was therefore rendered fairly useless. Defensively, it was a shambles. Uh, Everson, you know, he, he has a few of those moments every now and again. I think, by and large, he is a slightly better goalkeeper than Danny Ward. And yes, hit the point that he earned us almost single-handedly at times against Everton uh, could prove to be crucial at the end of the season. But the game against Fulham, he was completely at fault for the for the free kick that went in. Um, and, and he kind of had no confidence from that point. Madison Madison frustrated me against Fulham because he spent so much time in the referee's ear and the referee's face that he eventually got to the point where he wound himself up so much that he was trying to do too much on his own when there was a better pass on and he was trying to do some extra couple of turns or shot when a, a through ball would have been better. Uh, he seemed to lose his head to me. There are even some question marks on some social media um, pages that I saw of was Madison genuinely trying to get himself sent off, you know, ifs, buts and maybes. But there, there could be the odd player that that might be finding a way to get themselves out of this situation and just not, not, not be in the firing line. The only player for me that stands up and is counted, yes, he missed a penalty, but it, it's somebody that you can always rely on to lead the line. And it's Vardy. He looks sharper than he has done for the rest of the season and he was the only player that was even trying to get anywhere near a Fulham player when they had the ball uh, and then he'd look over his shoulder and he'd go well hang on I'm pressing the keeper here the keeper can just play triangles around me with his two centre-backs because there's nobody else backing me up the press whatever the trigger was was not communicated through the through the team um, Vardy tried to lead it on his own Harvey Barnes, in and out of the game, but you can't dispute the fact that he's bagged 12 goals in the Premier League this season, which is a remarkable return from the left side of a front three or the left side of midfield, whatever, for a man that's had a couple of injuries and playing for a team that's currently 
19th in the Premier League or 18th in the Premier League, whatever. So I think Barnes and Vardy are the only two that you need to keep in. You've got to keep Everson, I think, at this point because bringing Danny Ward in is not going to do anybody any favours. I think, obviously, a couple of errors, but Suyuncu is our best defender. So he starts. The rest of it, you know, fill it in. I don't see any reason why players that have not featured under Smith can't come in. Somebody like Mendy, he won the African Cup of Nations with Senegal. He won't be at Leicester come um, the summer. Not bothered about that at the moment. This is not about picking the players that are still going to be here next season. It's about picking the players that know how to win a football match or at least at least going to go out trying and go down uh, and not go down without a fight. So I I, I would question Pete, and, and I, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this. I haven't really spoken to anybody else about this. The 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 system against Fulham, not necessarily the formation, but the approach to the game, right? I'm I'm wondering if if Dean Smith and his team need to come under some some criticism from us. Well, from me, I I think they do because you look at the Everton game and I commentated on that game, so I I watched it very intently, and it was so frighteningly open, and we were just fortunate that Everton wasted a couple of chances and Everson was right at it that night. Um, but there were at times like it was like Sunday morning under fourteen football with sixty seventy yards in the midfield, nobody in the midfield whatsoever. Everton player picks it up in midfield. Bosch is on the edge of the Leicester box. Leicester player picks the ball up in midfield. As long as he could get past Gay or play it around him, they're on the edge of the Everton box. It was almost like the midfield had disappeared. And Dean Smith comes out after the game and says, I was disappointed that we weren't tighter in midfield. I, I'd planned for us to be tighter. We'd spoken about being tighter. I want us to be tighter. You go to the Fulham game a week later and... The same absolutely cavernous spaces in midfield continue to exist. Fulham played some tidy stuff, don't get me wrong. But it was like a training exercise where you're playing attack versus defence. And the defence are being told to only apply 50% pressure. Don't work too hard, lads. We're going to work on some sort of um, some offensive kind of... Uh, partnerships here. We're gonna we're gonna practice this link up play between this player, this player, this player. Uh, we're gonna sort of play around you a little bit. So so come to us, but don't really try and try and put anything in. Really, Leicester looked like they were facilitating forty five minutes of Fulham practicing sort of passing movements, and I didn't see any sign whatsoever that Leicester were set up to be any tighter against Fulham than they were against Everton. Absolutely and and that's why if Dennis Pratt wasn't actually fit enough to play, why are you putting him in in that all action kind of role in midfield next to the wardrobe and and a not exactly flowing Yuri Tillemans. So and and also Mendy wasn't in the squad. He wasn't in the squad for football reasons. There weren't any injuries. It was just a, a squad decision, said the manager. Um that's again a, a, a huge, I'd say, cross next to Smith. But to be honest, he's he's working with players he's he's fully aware of, but he's chopping and changing. He's brought, again he bring, he brings in Pratt into the side. I looked at it and went, "Well, there you go, Samare one side, Tillman's the other, Pratt kind of buzzing around." Okay, there there you go. You know, you can always chop and change it. You know, you can bring people on in that position. Um, You've got Wilfred and Didi on the bench if you want to bring him on. Uh, it's You've got Kid and Dewsbury Hall the same. So I, I didn't really have a problem. 
looking at a formation on paper and actually how they set up can be very different. Uh, you can look at it and go, well, it's a 4-3-3. It could easily turn into a diamond. It could be plenty of different ways. So I didn't really have a problem. Also, the fact that we you know, need to score goals. Yeah, we can't leave ourselves wide open at the back. But, you know, we've not kept a clean sheet in the Premier League for, is it 20 on the bounce now? It's it's crazy. So who knows? Like, who, why not set the team up to kind of go forward, you know? Um, so I don't really, to be perfectly honest. I, I, I wouldn't. Um, I would still lay the blame just, just, just at the player's door. But that being said, looking at the Liverpool game, I would completely rip it up. And I would play three at the back. I'd bring in players. You Surely Dewsbury Hall would come in. Um, surely Mendy would come in. I'd, I'd start both. I'd start both. Like, I can't see any reason why not. And the second point about the Liverpool game, and this might sound really old-fashioned, and but it, I think it has to be kind of spelt out. You mentioned about players maybe wanting to be sent off or that that room I, I think it's a complete fabrication and rumor you know um and, and wasn't the case and I think you you agree um but I would basically have the players go out there not to injure players not to do this and the other but I would tell them if they don't get stuck in it doesn't matter whether they're on a hat trick or not they're going to get replaced we need to get into Liverpool straight away press Comp all over the place. They're going to have a lot of the ball. They can. They'll pick us apart. They'll pick us apart. We need to really get stuck in. And if they play around us and score, there you go. They, they will do that anyway. But we need to get stuck in. You need your Mendes. You need your Dewsbury Halls snapping at the heels. You can have Barnes, Madison, and Vardy up top. But the rest of the side, and, and of course, they need to do it. Barnes, straight away for a start. He needs to be back in midfield, hustling the Harry and closing players down. Okay, yes, he's there for the counter, but primarily, no. Okay, Vardy, again, leading from the line, doing exactly the same. You know he will. Madison, back in midfield. You want Tielemans doing the same. You want Dewsbury Hall running around, headless chicken, Robbie Savage style, just going for the ball. What's his position? Midfield. Where? Everywhere. Just run, run after the ball. Okay, Mendy trying to hold things together in midfield. But again, just hustling, harrying, trying to win that ball back. Okay, they're not exactly... I know at the back they're pretty big lads, but in midfield they're solid, solid players. It's not like it's land of the Giants in there. There's a few solid players, but come on. it's That's what Leicester have got to do. And the back line, three centre-halves. I want them three centre-halves to be all over their, their attack. We know what Mo Salah's like. But the other lads, if Gakpo's playing, for example, you know, tall lad, broad, Darwin the same, you know, get hold of him, push him over, wind him up, get in their face, tell him whatever, you know, Matarazzi style. That's what I want. I want arguments, head-to-head -head clashes. I want ridiculous petty fouls. That's what I want on Monday. We need to disrupt the game because this is a game. I want it to be horrible. I want this to be absolutely horrible. And if that means a yellow card, tough. Kicking the ball, even if it's something like kicking the ball away. If Thomas is playing at fullback, okay, and someone's about to take a throw in, get the ball and boot it into the east stand and get yellow card for it. I don't care. Do it. That's what I want. And 
if a player gets sent off in the second half later on, okay, you don't want anything too stupid, you know what I mean? But I think that's the only way we can get by in that game by, and then getting the crowd on our side, okay? I was talking earlier today on a thing and I was on about the crowd at the King Power and now I'm, again, everyone who goes to the ground, brilliant, fantastic. When I've been there and I've been there on plenty of occasions this season, I know the players need to be playing for the crowd to get behind them, etc., etc. But it has been pretty quiet, to be perfectly honest. The crowd needs to be on their side, right? After what happened at Fulham, you're not fit to wear the shirts and all that sort of thing. Absolutely brilliant. The away fans, fantastic. They, The home fans, okay, they need something to cheer, right? They need something to cheer. It's no good relying on that. They need something to cheer. And guess what? If that's putting someone into row Z, it's putting someone into row Z. If that's kicking the ball away, if that's pushing someone over, if that's grabbing someone, whatever. That's what they need to do. Because if they don't, they will get absolutely turned over. We've seen what Liverpool can do at the King Power. All these players have been there and won. Some of them who have not played there before maybe have played in the Charity Shield. And they won that. So, like, um, it's 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 that sort of game where it might just sound a completely old-fashioned point of view, but that's what I would do. I would play the three centre-halves, land the Giants at the back, and be horrible. And I'd have those midfielders and the forward line all over the place, running around, pressing the ball like you've never seen before, to the point of it might go straight through our midfield through their good play. But I would be the first person to go do you know what they'll probably do that anyway it's a basic requirement isn't it we're not sitting here laying out some tactical genius right now we're not sitting here as licensed coaches sort of picking every player's every move for 90 minutes we're basically saying stick a couple on them and that and that will go a long way towards getting the crowd on your side but it'll also like you're probably not going to score in the first couple of minutes against Liverpool and get the boost for the players that way. So the way for me to get yourself into a game as a footballer, particularly a big game like that, is to win your first tackle and not just win it by pinching it, win it by absolutely clattering your opponent. You know, I've I've just got visions of, say, Salah picking the ball up on the halfway line right in front of the dugouts. And Jusbury Hall sprinting 10, 15 yards square across the halfway line, sliding in and absolutely tanking him into the technical area. And you, you, that'll have the fans on their feet straight away. And that'll have Jusbury Hall going, yeah, come on, I've just stuck one on Salah. And I'll have every Leicester player going, well, hang on, Keenan's up for this, so am I. I think because I don't think Leicester missed tackles against Fulham because they didn't even get anywhere near them in the first place. You just got to, even if there are a couple of late ones, early doors, Referee is very unlikely to book you for one mistimed tackle early on. Um, an elbow in the back, that kind of thing. I saw um, a couple of short clips of uh, how Rudiger defended against Haaland in the in the Champions League on, on Tuesday night. And at, at this point, the ball was just sort of in play um, in, in Man City's defence. Haaland wasn't making any kind of movement whatsoever. And Rudiger was just popping up either side of him, popping his head up, digging an elbow in, just pulling the sleeve of his shirt a tiny bit. They weren't even competing for a ball at this point. He was just trying to get in his head and just trying to bother him. And I know Rudiger's quite an eccentric defender, don't get me wrong, but 
We've got two quite eccentric centre backs in Waltfass and Chalasuunchu, who don't. They've got a mistake in them, of course they have, but they're also both aggressive front foot defenders. So they stick one on any one of Liverpool's front three, front four, whatever kind of system they approach the game with, and you know it just inspires the rest of the team to stick one in as well. I don't know exactly what shape I'd go for. For for Leicester, I, I I totally see your point with the with the three centre backs. Uh, I thought that might be something that Leicester employed against Everton, particularly with the fact that they've got some proper big fellas and they caused us all sorts of bother from set pieces. Didn't go for it. Uh, didn't go for it against uh, Fulham either. But you know you could you could operate a sort of five four. One really, but Madison could play, you know, on the on the right hand side of that um, of the of the four, uh, and then he could go more central to support Vardy as he naturally does. Because then, what you can really do if you need an extra player to go forward, you can push whoever's playing right back, like Castagna, up to the right hand side of midfield. Defense can just shuffle across, and then you've got sort of four four one one when you're attacking, something like that. Um, it it has to be Mendy and Dewsbury all in the middle for me. To, to just scrap, to win those balls. And I understand why players like Tielemans and, and Sumari, slightly more forward-thinking players, have been employed in, in the midfield. But ultimately, Mendy and Dewsbury Hill's job is to get the ball and shift it to Madison or stick it in the channel for Vardy or Barnes. That's it. It's not a complicated job for me. Buzz about, put yourself about, win the ball, stick it in the channel. Or buzz about, lay it off to uh, to Madison, let him do something else with it. It's it doesn't strike me as rocket science to put a foot in every now and again. And we got three games left, and we didn't get anywhere near Fulham, so I'm not holding out much hope of us getting near Liverpool, who are a much better side on a much better run of form. That's a problem. Yeah, it is a big problem, and and it's the only way I can see them getting anything from the game. And and who knows, get an early goal, and then maybe even two, and then of course you can change your tactics and 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 you know play the game depending on how the game's going. So it, I I just can't see any reason why that wouldn't be the case. It might sound absolutely obvious and rudimental football, but there you go. That's that's what I think is needed. And um, you, know, you mentioned about Madison; it's interesting with that uh, Madison miss penalty. Um, against Everton, which um, I think a lot of people actually, because we called the, the last episode that, um, and uh, but actually in the episode itself, there's a few people saying, well, it wasn't just Madison's fault, this, that, and the other. And it's like, yeah, we, we, we did say that actually in, in the actual podcast. Um, but it is quite interesting that every penalty I've seen since, and you got Calvert-Lewin that were just beforehand. Uh, yeah, the, there was two at Forest the other day, um, Gibbs-White and, and uh, James Ward-Prowse. And, and, and on Saturday as well, uh, the Fulham, I think pretty much every penalty I've seen since has been hit down the middle and gone in. So <laughs> Madison's that didn't go in. Yes, it's at the when that happens, you will look, well, why didn't you go for the top corner? But, you know, I think just every other penalty I've seen since has, has gone straight down the middle and gone in. So um, sod's law, really, isn't it? Um, he's been in a bit of hot water about saying that we're not hungry enough to win the game. And then he came on social media saying, well, if you take a clip out of proportion, da, 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 da. Um, he says one thing after a game and it gets taken out of context. Well, he did say not hungry enough, meaning aggressive and on the front foot in duels. Um, not wanting to win, uh, not as uh, wanting to win or uh, realising the importance. Well, 
I don't mind. Like, I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, if you turn around and say uh, we were not aggressive enough, and you're saying that it was taken out of context, not hungry enough, and what you meant to say was hungry enough by meaning not aggressive or on the front foot in jewels. That's what people think. Yeah, there would be a few people saying you don't care. I don't think that's the case. You know when a footballer doesn't care. Um, generally, they're nowhere near the first team. You know, it's 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 quite obvious. I think virtually everyone realised what he was saying. They weren't hungry enough on the front foot. And it's exactly what we've been saying for the last 10 minutes. They need to be hungry and they need to be on the front foot. And if you're on the front foot and someone dances around you, there you go. Someone else is going to be behind you sliding in. That's what it is. Hunting packs. Um, not maybe just by yourself. But So I don't think that his words were taken out of context. Also, I don't think his words were bad anyway. So Because um, also, I don't think many people are, you know, or will, at the end of the season, lay the blame at, say, James Madison's door for if we go down. And isn't it a bit refreshing to have a bit of honesty and a player speaking his mind. He's he's always been good for an interview, Madison. He doesn't always or doesn't very often give you the generic footballer's line. Uh, you know, you, you could interview certain footballers 20 times. They'd say the same thing and just a variation of, of words or they might put one sentence before the other one. Madison, you'll always get what he's honestly thinking. Uh, obviously, he, he meant to insert a couple more words into the sentence about hungry in terms of hungry enough in the tackle. He wasn't making out that the Leicester players were not hungry enough to win the game or they've got no desire to to um, to save themselves from relegation. And those that misinterpreted it like that, fine, whatever. You, you know, Ma- Madison gets interviewed, I don't know, five, ten minutes after he's just come off. I spoke of, uh, a little while ago on this episode of the podcast about how riled up he was in the game. I don't personally think that particularly helped his performance, but it at least showed that he gave a toss and he was and he was appealing for decisions. He was appealing for decisions he was never going to get. He was too soft, in my opinion, for several times when he went down. Um, but at least he is coming out and saying how he feels. And he feels the same way that we feel. He's not a Leicester fan, he's a Leicester player. But we've sat here and said the players did not get anywhere near the Fulham players, especially in the first half. And Madison's saying exactly the same thing. I totally agree. And yes, to those of you who thought that our opinion was Madison's ruined our entire season by missing a penalty against Everton, I do apologise. We had a title in mind that went somewhere along the lines of sort of madness in terms of the game. It fitted quite well to make the first part of the word um, a link to Madison's name and the penalty miss. It wasn't the be-all and end-all and the, and the summary of the podcast. You could argue it was a tiny bit clickbaity, but not by not on purpose. So apologies to those of you that were maybe slightly misled by the title of the podcast. I'll do better this time. Can we just talk about one player we've not mentioned, actually, who I don't think is going to save our season by any stretch, but somebody who I thought who came on against Fulham and showed real desire and moments of quality was Tete. He's had a difficult time at Leicester. He's not really got in the team apart from his debut against Villa. He's not looked great, let's be honest. But he came on at halftime on the right-hand side and all he did all game was buzz about, demand the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball, wherever. If the ball was down right back, he'd be back there saying, give me the ball, I'll make something happen. He beat players a lot of the time. He missed 
with a lovely side-footed effort by an inch or so. He was spraying the ball out when he when he got it. He made the odd uh, interesting decision. Nearly lost the ball a couple of times on the halfway line. But he went into that game, from my point of view, with no fear. He just wanted the ball and he wanted to make something happen. And he wasn't afraid to, to put in the, the legwork to get up and down the right-hand side as well. Now, as I've just said, I don't think he is going to single-handedly save our season. He could. He's got moments of brilliance in him, I think, from, from the brief flashes that we've seen. But he did what we're calling for on the podcast for the next three games, and he looked like he wanted to be there, and he looked like he wanted to make a difference to that match. In a game when Leicester were particularly poor on the ball and off it, uh, I thought he was, I won't say a shining light, but a, a, a small, a faint glimmer of hope, shall we say. What did you think, Pete? Uh, I reckon there might be an element of Fulham score a fourth, take their foot off the gas, as I mentioned earlier, and the game's wide open. It's almost inside out. It's and given the ball, if you're if you're the fullback, if you're Tete, <laughs> their fullback, um, you're looking at this guy and going, well, okay, I'll give you a bit of space. You know, you know what? You're not going to go flying in, clattering in. You're four nil up. And I, 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 I get what you mean. Yes, he looked all right, but I will still not start him against Liverpool. I, I just think, um, I think the game was kind of ripe for that. You know, you you're four nil up, uh, sorry, you're four nil down away from home, plenty of space. Come on, and all of a sudden, instead of being able to get um, five to ten yards with a defender then coming across, all of a sudden, you're uh, you've got 20 yards in front of you. But, um, yeah, it's... I, yeah, he looked all right. But, again, I, I just I just think it was a kind of a, a game scenario that kind of almost highlighted his, um, his plus points when we know he's been very, very disappointing. Like, really, really disappointing. But... Yeah, I, I, I just... I still, I still wouldn't start him against Liverpool. Would you start him? No, I don't think so. But I'm... I'm putting him on my bench and I'm looking on the hour mark where things have inevitably gone a bit stale and you probably need about six goals to get a, a draw uh, if, if the first half against Fulham's anything to go by. Uh, and I'm looking and I'm going, you know what? He, he could do something. And I'm not... I'd, yes, it helped that Fulham were, were off, were backing off a little bit and were, were coasting at 4-0. Uh, but it wasn't necessarily the, the sort of the beating the players and, and whatever that I, that I liked about him. It was the fact that he came on and he looked like he wanted to be there because I, I know Dennis Pratt, like you said, he was off the pace. Um, he didn't look sharp on the ball or physically. So it was quite easy to come in there and look slightly more interested in the, in the game. But you you could be forgiven for... There's, there's very little chance that, his, that this loan move is going to get turned into a permanent deal. Uh, because it's just not worked out for him for for whatever reason, and also Leicester don't know what division or what manager they're going to have next season. But so so he could be very much forgiven for just coasting through, take his pay packet till the summer, and go wherever he's going next. Um, but he didn't. He came on and he actually looked like he wanted the ball and he looked like he wanted to make a contribution. Uh, ultimately, the fact that he was able to become close to making contributions was because of Fulham's sort of 
stepping back slightly, but I like the attitude and that's really that's really all we've got to go on at this stage of the season because if you're going on technical attributes and all every, everything else about the players, that's out the window. We've got three games to go. You need you need the right attitude, the players with the right attitude on the pitch. And I thought his was better than most against Fulham. It's quite amazing, isn't it, when you're you're in this position and you're thinking back at the start of the season, you know, obviously different management, different aspirations, different side. And then here we are, three games to go in the mire. We've got Dean Smith in charge, John Terry on the bench, Craig Shakespeare on the bench. Um, talking about this lone Brazilian. Uh, it, it is it is strange, isn't it, football? Um, a lot of people after the game kind of went, right, we're down. Um, what's going to be the scenario? There were some interesting pieces written regarding the financial side. Um, I think with most clubs, unless you are you've got real specific uh, problems um, regarding the finance of the football club, um, I think most clubs can handle a relegation and then a promotion the next season. Um, most clubs would have assets on the field that can be sold. We know that King Power bought out um, a lot of the debt, basically refinanced it into shares themselves, so absorbed it. Um, that's obviously puts the football club on a, on a decent keel. The, the one problem with Leicester, as we all know, is that they've got an awful lot of infrastructure being supposedly built, which has to have a huge question mark next to it if um, relegation happens. Um but the the one thing I'd say about Leicester compared to a lot of clubs would be the on the field talent and the difference in wages that would have you know, between a a relegated Leicester side now and the side starting next year surely would be phenomenal. I think it would be in the Premier League, um, and a lot of play, uh, people have gone through the the Leicester squad and basically gone like yes or no or will they be here in fact the yes or no we do it every year at the end of the season do you want that player to be in the squad for next season would you keep them would you let them go etc um i i think that doesn't happen this time i think it's a case of will they will they be there or do they need to go um and it might be a bit early but you're going through the the squad now rob and honestly it's not a case of i mean how many in the squad 25 say it's not a case of can we put a 11 on the field of play with a few subs. Honestly, I'm down to single figures of players who will be there next season. An awful lot will be sold. Um, they'll get a lot of money in. You're looking at, say, Barnes and Madison, two who will go, um, would bring in over 100 million between them, surely. Um let's say 60 and 50 or maybe 50 each so, you know so that's a lot of money that will cover an awful lot of what will be lost next season but then the wage bill which is astronomical the amount of players who will be leaving on a free and the amount who have got hardly any time left who will be picked up by teams around the world I mean we've heard Daniel Amati going to AC Milan and, and all sorts and he's nowhere to be seen um, so let's let's just do a quick game of how many will stay. Um, I'll just go through the squad here, Rob. Um, Danny Ward um, surely will be there, but 
if he's not the first choice goalkeeper, I can see him being picked up by another club. Yeah, he's championship standard goalkeeper. So I think he's probably more likely to stay than someone like Everson who might fancy himself a, a move. Yeah, Danny Ward, yes. Yeah, I, I, I've got Everson down as being the goalkeeper at Leicester next season. Um, so I think Everson stays and Alex Smithies, it doesn't really matter in this kind of conversation. Um, defenders, um, I'll just go through. I will, We won't just do them one by one. We'll do kind of a group. Um, Justin is very interesting because he's going to be of interest to a lot of clubs, but he's injured. So Justin stays. Uh, Soyuncu goes. He's going to Atletico Madrid. He goes. Ryan Bertrand goes. Johnny Evans, I, 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 I just can't see him playing. I think he's going to retire. Um, I'd love to see him back, but there you go. Daniel Armate goes. Yannick Vestergaard goes. Timothy Castagna goes. You've got a first choice Belgian right back. He's not going to stay. Um, Volt Vass goes. Again, first place for Belgium. He's going to go. Um, I've got Harry Souter as staying. Championship <laughs> championship defender, isn't he? Victor Christiansen's interesting. I can see him staying for a season. Um but again, it wouldn't be surprised if he goes. And then the other one would be Ricardo Pereira, who I've just got a big question mark against because of his injury record. He's surely going to be quite loyal to Leicester. But also, um, if a club in Portugal, say, come in and go, come on, come and play for us, um, a, a lot of money off the wage bill. So I've hardly got any of the defence staying. Yeah, Ricardo's not going to stay at a championship football club for me. It's not happening. Ricardo Pereira is not playing championship football. Um Luke Thomas is one that he didn't mention. He'll stay at the club, um, I think. So you've probably got, I, I, I'd agree, you've got Thomas, Christensen, Suter. And I wouldn't be surprised, given the noise that he's made recently and the extensions that he's signed in the last couple of years, James Justin, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to find his feet with, with a run of games at Leicester next season. You, you'd look at him and say, look, Castagna's going, Ricardo is going, You'll start right back every week in the championship, mate. If we go up again, then you stay with us. You're a Premier League footballer again. Great. If we don't go up, you've proven that you can put a, a, a string of 20, 25 matches together, that your knees aren't made of uh, ice cream, and you can actually um, then get your move. Because he was on the cusp of the England squad before injury, wasn't he? And he's a very good player. But I can see him sticking it out. Same as Christiansen. Stay at the club for a year. Um, you've only been here for, for this season. Um, get get 46 games under your belt in English football. We get promoted. You stay there. You're still the first choice left back. Great. If we don't, you can move on. Suter, championship defender. There you go. So you're probably on three yeses and one maybe. It's not <laughs> great, is it? Uh, wait until we get to the midfield, though. Here we go. Um, midfielders. Harvey Barnes goes... He'll be sold. Yuri Tillemans, we know, will be off. Goes. James Madison, he'll be sold. He goes. Wilfred Ndidi, he'll go. He'll be sold. He'll go. Uh, Bubakari Samare, surely will go. Um, Dennis Pratt won't stick around. He'll go. Uh, Nampolese Mendy, I've got going as well. I think in the championship. Yes, of course, you can see him playing in championship. No, I think there'll be a club in Europe. Look at him and go, there you go. There's someone we can have. Um, I think he's out of contract as well. So, yeah, he will go. I have Keenan Jewsby Hall 
from the midfielders who have got uh, the youngsters okay you know Brunt uh, Sammy Braybrook uh, Alves etc they, they they will be there but I've got Kid and Jusby Hall from the first team squad as the only midfielder <laughs> who's staying um, Rob yeah I can't argue against any of those everybody goes Barnes might be a little bit reluctant to go hometown club and all that but he will have career aspirations and also the club will probably turn to him and say look Harvey we need to sell you, mate. And you, you could look at it from a business point of view. If you could sort of present him on this pedestal as somebody got double figures worth of goals in the Premier League this season, yeah, great. If he goes to a club and, and and Harvey Barnes isn't great when he's in and out of the team, he needs to run, he needs to be trusted, he needs, he needs to feel almost loved, really, doesn't he? If he goes to a club where he has a couple of bad games and then warms the bench for a bit and then is in and out of the team... Let's say a couple of seasons later, he's not having a great time of it. Leicester can buy him back on a cut price deal. He comes back to his hometown club. Leicester are back in the Premier League. They've made a tidy, what, 30 million, 40 million profit on the on the transfer. You can see it happening, can't you? Absolutely. I, I can't I can't see any for any reason at all that he stays. He'll be sold and he'll go for good money as well. Um, you know, sixty million, say, around that. And there'll be a lot of teams after him. Um, so, yeah, he goes. And then you've got the forward line. Um, Tete obviously won't be here. Uh, Kelechi and Acho, I've got down as going because, again, someone like Palace might come in for him. Uh, scores goals. We know what Kelechi and Acho is like, and I think everyone does. Surely he's going to go. Again, European clubs will be after him, maybe over in Spain. Uh, but he'll go. Bit of money as well. Um, Pat Sindaka interesting I think there'll be a lot of interest in him from other clubs and could well be sold I think if he stays then you could have a guy who could score quite a few goals in the championship because we know he can finish um and Mr Jamie Vardy who no idea I presume will stay I can't see him moving but then again if you're again if if you're maybe this is the year I know he's probably about two years down the line too late but there's always been that. I wonder if someone like Manu might just come in and give him a one-year deal or someone that kind of contract. I wonder if he has a burst of goals at the end of the season, but Leicester still go down. There might be a club out there who go, "Do you want to play a bit of European football for one year? We'll give you a one-year contract." As we've seen with a lot of great players in recent times, go to some big clubs for just one year, right at the end of their their career. Um. I just wonder whether one club might save that. If not, he'll stay at Leicester and who knows, a, a fit Jamie Vardy playing for an entire season in the Championship, even at this age, score a lot of goals. Um, if you're going to go dead solid and try and do what we did last time we're in the Championship, or should I say actually the time before that, when we were um, when we won in the first season in the uh, in the King Power, it's basically 4-4-2 and we got Brian Dean and we got... Um, Paul Dickov up front well how about just going very solid and stick Pats and Dacker and Jamie Vardy up front together you could do an awful lot worse than that um, so yeah so I've got Vardy as staying I've got Dacker as just a massive question mark more than likely I'd imagine he'll probably go and then Ian Acho going yeah I think uh, I think Dacker will go I think Ian Acho will go Um Vardy's an interesting one because you're absolutely right if we get relegated to the championship Jamie Vardy is very capable of scoring 15, 20 goals next season. 
he won't be able to play every game, which which makes me go sort of go towards the fifteen rather than the twenty because the championship's relentless. Forty six games, he struggled with two games a week in in the Premier League. Yes, we've had a more condensed fixture list this season because of the World Cup, but Daka goes back to Europe for me. He uh, he can't handle it when he's playing against. Premier League centre back. So when he starts getting roughed about by the Championship big boys, he's going to have absolutely no hope. Yes, they'll make more mistakes and there'll be a bit more space in behind, possibly. Um, and he, he would he would score some goals, but I can't see him staying from his point of view, from a career point of view. He doesn't feel like he owes Leicester anything really because he's not quite worked out that this transfer. Um, he goes for me. Ian Acho, if if he can get a move away, I think we'll take one. The only that does leave us in single figures. You're absolutely right. Uh, the only thing is, it's going to be very very difficult in the summer to ship all of these players out on a deal that makes it worthwhile to the club, because that's an awful lot of sales to go through. I know some of those are out of contracts. You know, Mendy, that kind of player, Amati, whatever. But you are looking at probably six, seven, maybe eight significant sales. It's not beyond the realms of possibility, but it's it's we've proven in recent transfer windows, it's very difficult to get players in and out. Yes, the players that we're talking about here are more desirable than the ones that we've tried to get rid of previously. You're thinking about Vestergaard's move that fell through. Obviously, that was down to personal issues in the end. Um, but it was a difficult one to get out. Iose Perez, difficult to get rid of um, at that time. They are more the kind of squad players that, that not so many people would be interested in. I think you'd have no problem at all selling people like Barnes and Madison. Uh, probably not too much difficulty shipping the likes of Ian Acho and Dakar on. Um, another one like Ndidi, who was, a, who was sort of touted as being uh, going to a big, big club a few years ago gone off the pace a little bit but haven't the rest of the Leicester team all of the international players surely are going to move even if the likes of Pratt and Castagna have to go back to Belgium and play in their top flight for a season to make sure that their international credentials remain the same that they're getting regular football they got an opportunity of playing in Europe if they go to the right club I, I don't see any of them uh, slumming it in the championship that sounds derogatory to the championship but I think that's how a lot of the players in this squad will view relegation they they won't want to play for a championship club no i i think i think it'd be slightly easier in a way because because of the because of the success the recent success of these players i know obviously this season's gone dramatically wrong but timothy castagna again first team belgian player playing well for his country he's there not on his performances for leicester he's on there from his previous appearances and performances for Leicester and how he plays for his country. Volt Vass, exactly the same, playing in the Premier League. Uh, he got that move. Um, Yuri Tillemans, the same. These players, I know Tillemans out of contract, but they will go and they will be highly sought. There was a uh, talk of Arsenal after Castagna. There will be teams after them. Um, I, I can't see any reason why they would stay. And also, I, I think there will be an awful lot of suitors for them. Um Pun not intended. Uh, it's okay. So one player then, Rob. If you could keep one player, and uh, you, you can't pick Madison because obviously he's going to go. You know, the very, very unlikely. There needs to be a, a glimmer of a chance of them staying, right? Um, if you could pick one player 
that we've said he's going to go and there is 99% chance of them doing that. Um, but faint chance they might stay, but you would want them to stay. Who would it be? I've got a player. Of course you have, and you've thought of this question ages ago, and now you're going to have a really well-balanced, well-rounded argument. As it's not, as it's not well-balanced. It. It's 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 just nice and short and sharp and simple. One player that we've said will go that I want to stay. Oh wow! Um, are you putting Barnes in the same bracket as Madison? As there are two marquee sales, and that's it, gone. Yes, apart from the players like Tillemans who are going to go, etc. But yeah, they've gone. If I'm putting on my sort of defensive head and I'm looking at the fact that if you want you want to build a squad from the from the back going forwards, I'd be looking at one of the Belgian pair of Waltfass or Timothy Castagna because especially like you would you would have then you'd have Fass and Suter as two you'd centre backs, you'd have Christiansen as your left back. If you could keep Castagna as well, you've got you've got a very good back four there for a championship campaign. Yeah, that's not what I chose. <laughs> um, I kind of went down the route of you can buy a defence in the championship. We might have full backs at the club who can come in. And if Suter's there, you know, you could bring in centre-halves. You don't have to be too mobile, etc. I've gone completely the other end of the field. Ian Acho will not stay. He won't stay. But there is just that 1% possibly. I think a fit Kelechi Inacho in a, in a good championship side, he bags 35 goals, doesn't he, really? Um, he will just score goals. Um, it, it will just... Surely you could just play him off anyone, really. Just stick him up front and he will score an absolute ton. Um yeah, so I had Ian Acho down there because, again, he's that player where there is just that 1%. Actually, because he, he's on a good contract, etc., he might actually stay, but he won't. Obviously, he'll be picked up by an awful lot of clubs throughout the world, actually. There'll be a lot of clubs in Europe. I would, if I was looking at the Leicester side right now and going, who could you cherry pick, etc., he'd be certainly one. I, I can't see any reason why there's going to be a lot of Premier League clubs looking at him going, do you know what? There's a, a, there's a guy who scores goals. Seems a good egg, scores goals. Um, but imagine how many he would score in the, in the championship on a on a on a positive note. Yeah, I was thinking more like twenty five, but even then, I'd be very happy with it. I, I do take your point. Yeah, you you can buy um, solid championship defence, no bother. Uh, and with Ian Acho, you've got a, a proven goal scorer, a Premier League quality striker, isn't he? Especially when you play him in the right position for a number of games in a row, you get you get a very good goal return from him. I can I can see where you're coming from with that, but you know I'm a defender at heart, so I am trying to build this team from the back. And if you've got a back four and a goalkeeper, then you can at least you've at least got somewhere to start, haven't you? That's true. That's true. Um, I think well, like the goalkeeper, we'll if we do go down, we'll be looking right back to when Schmeichel left in our in our season review. Ooh. Anyway. Um, on a positive note, let's look at the and the final thing on the podcast, the for Fox Eight podcast FPL table with not long to go now. So the top ten uh, up into tenth place. It's Topo United AFC Benjamin Brogan on 2,266 points. A non-mover at 9, Goran Vlavic with Brokolona 
2,279 points. Uh, in non-remover in 8th place, uh, Olivia Toon with Schmeichel Jackson, 2,301. Uh, down into 7th place, Adam Wise, back in the netto, 2,307. Down into 6th place, Ben Melbourne, uh, Vini Vidi Vardi, 2,309. Top 5, down into 5th place, Glenn Richardson with Glenn's Maple Foxes, 2,318 points. Up into 4th place, Liam Squires, Glasgow Celtic with 2,320 points. Top 3, up into 3rd place, Aman Gulati with uh, Team Dalek, 2,322 points. Up into 2nd place, uh, Matt Hatson with Flying Without Mings. 2,322 points, the same as in third. But out in front is Jack R with Emerson Blues, 2,351 points. So there is a gap at the top. Emerson Blues with Jack R in front and in front by 29 points. Uh, so all changed then in many of the places apart from right at the top. Now, 10th place, Tofu United, uh, 2,266. Go down to 35th place for me, 2,173 points. So not bad, although there's a bit of a gap then to the ones above me. I can't seem to get into that kind of top 30 at all. With uh, Pete Selby, Obi-Wan, Iwobi, nil. <laughs> um, Rob. I'm on the beach, Pete. Right, I told I said this on a podcast a few weeks ago. I missed two to three game weeks, uh, and ever since that, I have genuinely not looked at it, and I've tumbled down. My I've just opened the uh, F, the Premier League app for the first time, probably since the last podcast, to have a look at what you were reading out and and look at the numbers. I have gone up to one hundred and twenty second, but I'm in a position that I hoped Fulham would be in on Monday, and. The end of the season is coming and there's no chance of me getting relegated. I'm not going to finish bottom. Uh, I missed a couple of weeks. I, I'm, I've, I've mentally removed myself from it to put all of my thinking, power and positivity into Leicester staying in the Premier League. That's what I will say. What I'll also do is I will take a surrogate team for the last few games of the season um, because one of my best mates uh, sent me a screenshot of the For Fox 8 podcast league table Um the other day and said this is the closest I've ever been to a shout out of being in the top 10 is my mate Jakey Patel who's 14th with Holgate total 2254 he's on so he's only 12 points off the top 10 so from now on from from now to the end of the season I'm on an emergency three game loan to my mate's team Holgate total so I am technically ahead of you in the league technically although he has Timothy Castagna on his bench he needs to get rid of him uh, <laughs> because I don't think there's going to be any clean sheets uh, for Leicester over the next three, three games. Rob, we play Liverpool on Monday. Give me your score prediction, uh, please. I am going for a desperately needed point three three. Oh, I'm going to go. Is that what th- you were going to have? I'm going to go through. In fact, I, I was going to go three three, but I'm going to go four four in a thriller, a Monday night classic. Um, there's a there's a group of Liverpool supporters, I believe, in the cop who always bet on four four, and they they had, they had like two four fours on the bounce uh, in like the late two thousands. I think um, was it uh, Arshavin scored on his debut for Arsenal, scored a hat trick, and it was four four, something like that. But they, I think it was two four fours on the bounce, and they always chuck a couple of quid in every game and and back four four, and uh, uh, obviously 
tremendous odds. Um, so I'm going to go 4-4 four, four then. I was going to go 3-3. Three, three. That was generally my pick. Um, so uh, I'll just... Okay, I know. Sorry, we'll go for 3-3. Three, three. There we go. Got to, have a, got to have a quid on it now. So, uh, so there we go. Right. Plenty of goals. And, uh, well, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, even if the worst comes to the worst and we get annihilated and then we get thrashed at Newcastle, it comes down to the final day and we're still in with a chance. It might only be one team who we need to perform badly and not take any points it might be a couple it might be status quo as it is now the same on the final day of the season that's not definitely not without a chance so we shall see it's Leicester anything can happen with Leicester um but as a few people said on Twitter they might just want to change that sign above the tunnel when they walk out where it says foxes never quit because hmm from what it looked like at the Craven Cottage there might have been one or two who did just that (laughs) 